It's April 15th, 2021, and we're recapping the LCS Finals weekend and getting caught up on the LPL Spring Playoffs with Emily Rand. This is the True Sight Podcast. Welcome to the True Side Podcast by Oracle's Elixir, your source for in-depth analytical coverage of professional League of Legends and the rest of the esports world. I'm Tim Magic Sevenhusen, and today we are welcoming Emily Rand back to the show. How's it going, Emily? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Uh, I'm doing really good. Uh, it's uh, an afternoon show on a Thursday, a little different from the typical Wednesday morning, but I think we got the same vibe going. It's feeling very spring today for me, hot and sunny, you know, streaming in through, through my window. Not sure how things have been for you. Is it a nice, hot, sunny, average kind of a day for you? Yeah, it's it's still uh, every day here is pretty much <laughs> 70, 70 to like 76 degrees for the high and then like 50 degrees gets down to maybe at night. And it's always sunny. It's LA is always sunny. It's like Good living in a bubble. LA. Yeah, it's a little little different here. More Pacific Northwest. You know, we haven't had rain in like a week and a half, and it's starting to feel really strange. But we're not here to talk about the weather and chit chat. Uh, <laughs> haven't had you on the show for a couple months. It's been a while. I think I think the last one was episode 18, I want to say. So it's been a little bit. Thrilled to have you back. You have spent the spring split on the analyst desk. You were on the desk this past weekend uh, with yeah. the LCS finals and, and the semifinals before that. So... Excited to have you back now that you've been more seasoned and weathered by that experience. And, <laughs> and we'll go back and compare your performance from last... No. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I mean, I've improved, but I'm nowhere near I need to be as a broadcaster. So Everyone is always their own worst critic. And, uh, you know, we've had a lot of people praising your work there and, and, and the vibe you've brought in. So I, I'm looking forward to talking about the LCS finals with you because, you know, we are just, uh, you know, the week after that. Um, it was a really exciting weekend, especially the the Cloud9 TL best of five. Uh, I think there's a lot to talk about there. And I also want to take this opportunity to learn a little bit about the LPL and do some, you know, have you help me with some of my catch-up homework going into MSI because I haven't been able to keep up with it at all. So let's start with the stuff that's a little closer to home. Let's start with the LCS finals. We had Team Liquid get through TSM on the Saturday. Mm -hmm. And then in a series that honestly was not great, didn't look good, I was actually kind of discouraged by it. And then they come in on Sunday, playing with Armeo, you know, who they had to be an emergency jungle sub, basically. And they come in and they they play C9. Great series, five games, really close. What was it about that series that, they, that allowed it to be so close when most people came into the weekend expecting Cloud9 to, like, oh, Team Liquid are playing terrible, they're just going to 3-0 them? Um, I think part of it was draft. And by that, I don't mean that like everything was decided in draft. I liked some things the TL did. I liked some things that C9 did. I disliked some things that TL did. I disliked some things that C9 did. Um, but on the whole, you saw kind of both of these teams generally stick to um, their like a similar philosophy throughout the series and TL uh, in their series with TSM, we saw this and we were kind of looking at that because it, like you said, it was not the greatest in terms of quality. Um, and we were looking at that series and we we're like, okay, you know, uh, TL is not going to be able to kind of sit back and pick these kind of scaling, uh, you know, more like late game 5v5 uh, compositions that they chose against TSM because mm -hmm. TSM... We've criticized them, or I, I'll say I've criticized them. Uh, I think you have too for a lack of proactivity in the early game. Um, and if when that happens, you can just kind of rely on them yeah. to not punish you, uh, even if you pick, uh, you know, losing lanes plus Hecarim, which yeah. is something that TL <laughs> does and something that is like, it, it's just one of those things. It's not like particularly egregious. It's not more egregious than a lot of other things that happen. It's just one of my personal weird, like, please <laughs> stop doing this. Um, but anyway, that aside, uh, I was concerned that going into the series, TL would continue to do that. And for the most part, I, I do think they stuck to scaling generally. Um, but then what ended up happening was with some of C9's drafts, they would... Um, 
draft a little bit more for like early to mid game. And then if they made some execution errors in that mid game, especially, um, it was kind of easy for TL to come back in as long as they weren't like super, super, super far behind. Um, So I think that was, I think that was part of it. I also think um, Armeo, while I know a lot of people have opinions on how good he is uh, and how unfortunate it was that Santorin was Mm -hmm. not in. And I am actually really sad that we did not get to see Santorin. Um, Not that I think it would have made a difference. I already said on Hotline League and on the analyst desk, I still would have picked C9 regardless. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think that uh, with how close it was, I would have been really curious to see Santorin uh, in the lineup. Yeah. Um, Because I I do think he's just a, a better jungler and has obviously had more practice with yeah so even if it's even if it's only like one or two more properly timed covers on alfari's top lane wave crashes or something like that like one or two early game kills in that series does that swing it right maybe hard to say or like recovering from um the uh initial cheese a little bit more gracefully maybe Mm -hmm. in game five um, although I have it on good authority that Armeo has seen that exact situation several times. So. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, that aside, um, I do think that one of the reasons why it was so close was just due to, like I said, the different draft philosophies. I really appreciated that C9 focused early to mid more often than not, just because, A, we see, you know, few teams in, in NA do that compared to... Uh, focusing more on having a late game scaling option and a 5v5 fight. Um, and I appreciated how they tied that into how they do like to play the top lane around stacking waves. Uh, we also saw them do the same thing bot side around stacking waves and have Blabber go down there after going top and getting fudge ahead. So I thought um, above all else, and this is also the reason why I still would have picked C9, I think the difference maker for C9 is that Blabber's communication with his lanes is, I I would say, probably, like, from my perspective, obviously, I can't hear the team comms. I don't know what's going on. But from what I see on the map and and my perspective, I do think that C9 have the best jungle to lane communication of any team in North America. And that's why I still would have picked them to win. And that's something that, like, so in the in the episode of Run It I did this week, it pretty much honed in exactly on that kind of thing with with the setup. Like mm-hmm. the second half of the episode is all about. Here is an in depth example of how Fudge stacked a wave to set up Blabber yep. to come in and do a first blood jank, right? And and I think that's a thing where I set it up to fully give Fudge credit for it, and you know, and and I think it's fair to give him a lot of credit for that setup because manipulating the waves is the laner's job. But it's equally something you can praise Blabber for. For, because it's it's clearly the two of them communicating. I am going to do this with the waves, and it is going to create this scenario. So if they do that, you will be able to do this, right? And it's something that it's it's the coordination of the entire team. Even the mid laner, some, to some extent, needs to be involved in yeah. that whole thing. Uh, and, and so I think that's something that Cloud9 definitely does better than the rest of the LCS teams. And it's something that, like, when you talk about TSM lacking proactivity, it's a very frequent thing that you'll see the junglers trying to do one thing, the, the, maybe the side lane is trying to set this up. Mid doesn't move mm-hmm. with it quite right. And then the opportunity is kind of lost. Nothing really happens. And if you're not looking for it, you might not really notice that there's an opportunity lost here, right? Uh, or sometimes they do get punished for it. And there have been cases where we've called that out as well. But it's something that Cloud9 definitely does very well, for sure. Yeah, and I mean, I know a lot of people, and again, I can't say whether this is attributed to, or whether this is all him whether it is Blabber, my guess is it's probably a combination of the two. It's a Blabber just having, um, you know, more experience. Like he was already an MVP jungler last year. He has another year under his belt going into this year. Um, And then there's the additional perks. And something that everyone has always consistently talked about to me about perks is his level of communication. And that's not saying he's like, puppeteering the rest of the team or um or like being like this massive player coach or anything like that like i don't think it's how people necessarily think about like oh perks automatically steps on the team and suddenly it's all about him and he's controlling everything that's not it but i do think his experience probably helps facilitate that communication between lanes and blabber um and it's something that i think for me personally blabber has improved on like exponentially from last year is his early pathing and his 
jungle to lane communication. Yeah. And it's also the kind of thing that like, it's not something that you just talk about inside the game. Like, oh, they did this with that wave and they're reacting to it. No, this is a planned out, right? And so yeah. understanding, it's developing that fundamental understanding of what you can do with the waves or what you should do with the waves and what it leads to, which is all stuff that happens during the scrim process and during the learning process. So that's something I could definitely see perks bringing in and just improving some of their situational understanding of that. And also the coaching staff, right? Like the coaching staff can come in and give very yeah. good uh, help to, to, to have those understandings and to set up we're planning this for the first six waves. So your job is right. And and they figure it out. So it's not just about talking how they execute within a single game. It's an overall mindset and understanding. And that's something that like, I think, you know, Alfari criticized himself, I think a little bit after the series. Uh, I think there was some, you know, disagreement at different levels about did Alfari play worse than normal? Did he play the same as, as usual? And Cloud9 just knew how to, how to exploit him. Like, where do you kind of fall on, on that part of the topic? Um, I mean, I think there were, like, as much as uh, we get on the analyst desk and we talk about, like, individual matchups, um, I think that especially with top lane being just generally a lot more volatile this year, um, mm -hmm. there are a lot more volatile matchups. You can purposefully make it um, yeah. a lot more, uh, a yeah. lot, or I'll say a lot less stable. Uh, depending on what you pick. Uh, we're going to talk about the LPL later, but like, <laughs> hey, guess what? They punished that blind uh, Gnar with some yeah. some cool and fun counter picks. Um, yeah. So I think uh, I, I don't want to like separate Alfari and say like it's definitely his fault. I no. think he should have like after after the last series even, um, he should have known exactly what C9 want to do because it's not like a particularly, um, it, it, it's just like a very basic setup, right? Where, with how you're playing the wave. Um, so in that regard, I think Alfari should have been maybe a little bit more aware of how he was going to get overextended and the fact that they are going to be looking blabber, for Blabber to come up top. Now, I think on the flip side of that, um, if he does have Santorin, they're maybe communicating a little bit better around that, um, despite the fact that obviously it was a target point and focus for C9 in their first series. Um, this is another reason why, like, again, I'm not trying to take away from C9's victory. I feel like I have to, like, insert this caveat all the time. Um, I still would have picked C9 for the reasons I already said, but I would have been curious to see how that jungle-to-top communication uh, if it would have changed or if it would have improved uh, and what they would have learned from that first C9 series, because you could see shadows of what happened in the final in that series around how C9 played around Fudge and, and how they basically forced Alfari to overextend. Yeah, it's I think the, the, the part of that that gets the most interesting to me is, is this idea of like, is Alfari forced to extend there? Or is he put in a situation where he has to do something different than usual to avoid extending, mm -hmm. right? And, and to what extent is he able to to defend himself from that just with the way he controls the waves? Uh, and, and one thing I've always kind of wondered a little bit about Alfari is does he have that same level of... Like, he, he's obviously very, very good at 1v1 punishes and trades and out CSing his opponents. Like, he generates these CS leads all over the place, right? But I've, I've never known if he had quite that same level of, of understanding of hey, the next three waves are going to do exactly this and their, their jungler is doing this, therefore I need to, like, like the kind of the sequential thinking and, and looking ahead on that some of that stuff. Some of what, what some coaches would call the fundamentals, they're different types of fundamentals, right? It's fundamentals of way of understanding versus fundamentals of execution, but I, I've, I've so often felt that he has a little bit less in-depth understanding of that stuff, and that's why he's able to be punished sometimes in these ways. And then jungler can help cover for that, but I think he also could have covered for himself a little better in that series. I think he does understand more than we've seen, but this is also where I feel really inadequate commenting on it, to be quite yeah. honest, because we can see Fudge's wave setup and uh, the way Blabber plays around him because the camera pans up there when that stacking wave is coming in, right? But uh, we don't have pro view, so it's yeah. really difficult for me to see where... Um, or like exactly how uh, Alfari is playing out those like really, really early levels. Uh, I can surmise based on what ends up happening, but 
it's one of those things where I really wouldn't want to comment any further without seeing Purview, which is kind of sad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I miss it so much, and yeah. hopefully we will be back in studio soon, and Proview will return to us. I agree. <laughs> I am looking forward to paying for that again because it's it's so worth it to me. Uh, I know switching completely to the other side of the map, you, I know you're quite impressed with Vulcan. Uh, you, yeah. you shared your, your six thoughts, I think it's called, on, on LollySports.com, yeah. and you called out Vulcan in one of those points. What was it about Vulcan specifically in his performance that, that drew your attention to him? Yeah, so I highlighted Vulcan, I think, two weeks ago, someone who I was looking to kind of be like a breakout player if C9 did go on to win. Um, and he was sadly, I believe, overshadowed by, yeah. <laughs> by his teammates once again. <laughs> um, but Vulcan has performed uh, really, really well. The past criticisms I've had of the Vulcan um, Sven lane is actually not on either of them as individuals in terms of being good, but it's about the fact that Vulcan seemed to be a lot more willing to go forward or willing to take some riskier trades. Uh, again, willing to make thought lane a little bit more volatile where Sven would just be kind of like, whoa, back it up. Like, <laughs> let's not do that. Um, and that's not saying one thing is necessarily better than the other, because yeah. it also depends on leaning, and I can't necessarily see the entire lane. But I did sometimes notice that disconnect when Vulcan would go in for, let's say, a 2v2 trade. Um, and maybe, uh, you know, Sven wouldn't be in the position to have, like, the exact proper spacing for it. Um, and that's, again, not a comment on his spacing because I think he's actually also insane and proved it in the series. Um, and one thing I want to call out actually for both of them working together is that this was one of the series where I really saw Sven like have a little bit more of an edge to him that I like know he's had in the past, but we have seen him play, I guess, a bit more passively uh, over the past few years, especially on TSM. But uh, <laughs> Not not as much on C9, but there have been, like I said, these these kind of like a slight friction in terms of how each of them want to play the lane. Um, and so I think uh, Vulcan is really strong in team fights. Obviously, part of it is that he got <laughs> he got one of his best champions in Alistar yeah. um, uh, twice, I believe. Um, but then additionally, I think we also saw Sven, especially on the Kaisa being able to really, really use her repositioning to go in and assassinate people. Um, and it was really awesome to see. Uh, I love the way Vulcan plays team fights. I really can't wait to see him on an international stage just to see how much he's improved from yeah. when he was last uh, at Worlds uh, on yeah, Clutch. Yeah. yeah, where they didn't win. <laughs> they unfortunately did not win the game. Um, they're in a really tough group. So, I mean, I think... Um, if you're looking at the group they're in, it's a tough situation because they kind of have to beat the teams they're quote unquote supposed to beat because yeah. they're also in a group with Damwon and no offense to C9. I think Damwon yeah. are the strongest teams going into this tournament and I think it's going to be really difficult to take uh, a game off of them even in a best of one round yeah. robin for groups. So um, they are going to have to win the games that they like quote unquote are supposed to win against infinity and data But I do think that I am really curious to see that kind of same um, team fight control out of Vulcan. I really appreciated. I think it was in game. Let me check the, hmm. let me just check drafts really quickly. Um, I think it was in game. Yeah. Game four. With the the insane like Gragas, Alistar, Zoe composition with with Sven kind of popping around uh, on the Kaisa, um, I really appreciated how both Vulcan and Fudge played their role in separating these larger five v five team fights that Team Liquid's composition wanted to set up with their scaling um, and kind of separated them into smaller skirmishes. That's also where I value Vulcan sometimes is in his team fight targeting and being able to understand like how to break up a fight um, that's more advantageous for whatever scene you're trying to do. Uh, so I also wanted to call him out for that as well, specifically in that game. I think him and Fudge, despite a few um, 
they also both had visible missteps in this game. So people are probably wondering, like, why are you calling this game out specifically? <laughs> um, but I but I do think both of them also had a crucial role in how those two fights ended up, like, breaking up into kind of smaller things where perks can come in and land a bubble, where Sven can easily reposition and take someone out. Um, it was very cool to see, especially since I was pretty down on this composition going into the game. <laughs> yeah, I think there were there were a lot of positive signs. Um from from Vulcan and I think he's so stable a lot of the time to me that's that's one of the things where you know he this year at least he's had mm -hmm. certain certain high points and really memorable moments but the the biggest thing to me has been just how stable he's been and how few like mistakes or throws there are in his game which mm -hmm. used to be more of a factor because he is so aggressive right he does have this yeah. this real go in mindset and that was one of the best things about him on clutch um, the whole team had that mindset, but but Vulcan especially was a really really good kind of trigger puller. But he's cleaned up so many things about his game, and then occasionally he'll he'll make that big kind of standout uh, play. But it, you know when when you have other people on the team doing stuff like Perks did or like like Zven did or things like that, it does tend to overshadow the stable player. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I love giving him credit. I I actually uh, have Vulcan Vulcan's name on a C nine jersey, so I'm a big fan of him. So. Nice. <laughs> um, I do not, but I did want to give him a shout out after yeah. this weekend because again, I felt like uh, on in in a series where I feel like there's a good com like at least a good conversation for every single player in yeah. terms of M like series MVP. I think that um, he was kind of the one that was overshadowed the most. So yeah, well, I think that's fair. Uh, on the Team Liquid side of it, going into summer. Do you think there's anything specific they need to focus on or that they should that that they need to be working on to, you know, avoid a repeat of this? Do you think they're at a place where it's just, hey, play it out next time, you know, we'll see where the meta goes, we'll have Centaur around, we're gonna be fine? Or do you think there's something that they need to look at and say, Hey, we gotta reset on this, we gotta specifically work on this thing over the next two months or whatever anything like that? Um, I do think in order to keep up with a team like C9, they do need to improve their their jungle to lane communication. Um, I don't think it was as big of a deal when it was more um, when jungle was a little bit more separated. But now as the patches have gone on, um, I know jungle is like a huge sticking point for people right now with Kemtank. Um, but I do think and, and I agree with those criticisms, by the way. Yeah. Um, but I do think that as uh as the patches have gone on this year, we've gotten to a point where you do have to communicate with your lanes a bit more. You do probably have to interact with them um, a little bit earlier than previously, where I feel like in the very beginning of this, this split, you could really get away with almost like AFK power farming. Um, I mean, uh, with the, you know, like we're going to fight over double scuttle and we're just going to make sure that the other jungler is like completely out of it. Um, and they can't get back in. Um, and it's going to be all about like farming, carry, uh, and that's it. Um, I do think that you generally do have to interact with their lanes a little bit more as the patches have worn on. Um, and I think that this is something I've been calling out TL since they started quote unquote struggling in the regular season. Um, where during lock-in, they were getting so many of their advantages from 2v2 bot side, where it would just be a, a solo kill or a solo double kill from outlaning yeah. their opponents, right? Um, and they would really easily transition that into bot side objectives like Drake, uh, which teams tend to either over-focus on or under-focus <laughs> on. Uh, and, and when I say that, I mean you you can skip early drakes to get other stuff on the map. Like I promise it actually works. Um, <laughs> and, and you don't have to fight 5v5 over first drake in the yeah. river. You also don't have to fight 5v5 over scuttle in the <laughs> river either. Um, this is not just an NA thing. It happens in LPL all the time. Uh, but, but I think um, when you're looking at TL, and the way they played in the beginning and the way they played in the lock-in tournament, they had trouble transitioning that uh, play to um, topside. 
And they had trouble transitioning. Like, say Alfari did get an insane laning bonus. Uh, say he did just, like, flat out outlane his opponent, right? Yeah. Um, they had trouble transitioning that advantage into better map control, into having him go out and split push and leverage it that way. Um, I would actually love to see them do more around the one three one. I would love yeah. to see improved communication between Santorin and his lanes. Those are the two things that I would identify for TL going into summer. And that's obviously like, I feel like in the grand scheme of things, like that's not a bad place to be, right? Like they're still, in my opinion, like it's C9 and then TL and then a gap and then TSM yeah. and then yeah. below that the rest. So like, I still think that this is the second best team in NA and I think they can be really, really good. Um, but those would be, I guess, if I had to highlight two things going forward, I'd like to see them try out more one three one and try to leverage cross map a lot more. And then I'd also like to see increased uh, level of communication between Santorin and his lanes. Yeah, it's it's the subtle things, really, right? Like to me, it's mm -hmm. it's the things that take a combination, a collection of good players, and turn them into a great team. It's that that one like half step layer that makes all the difference. And those are the things that that I think C nine just does a little better. I think TL pound for pound probably has more individual player skill right now than C9, just in my opinion. It's, it's very close, but C9 has more of that kind of unity uh, and more mm -hmm. of that subtlety of, of coming together as a, as a gestalt, as, as I sometimes like to say. So, and it, and I don't think that's different from what I expected coming into the year. It's the, it's one of the biggest reasons that I was so high on cloud nine coming into this season and have continued to be, I dipped on them at the end of the regular season. I thought C9 were starting to <laughs> fall apart a little bit and I lost faith. But, uh, you know, this is where we landed. Uh, there are a lot of other things we could talk about with LCS, but there's also a lot that I'd love to cover in the LPL because I've been following mostly from the outside, watching the standings, looking at match results without having much time or opportunity to kind of look into VODs or put those on and see what's really going on. So, you know, I'm going to be starting my MSI prep soon so that I can do some good MSI coverage, have some commentary going in, set some expectations, uh, know what these teams are doing. But, you know, you being a close follower of the LPL, I think it's a really good opportunity to, to kind of cheat some of my prep there. Give me at least tell me where to start. <laughs> you know, what are the most important things I should should know? So so what's the what's the quick recap? Let's start there with with what's kind of been going on over in China. And they aren't at the end of their spring playoffs yet. And you know, they've still got some to go. But, you know, maybe you can yeah. use this as a way to lead into the finals that are coming up this weekend. Yeah, so finals are this uh, this Sunday. So I guess like quote unquote Saturday night for yeah. um, for uh, NA time because it's still technically morning, but whatever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's still technically Sunday morning, but it's like at two in the morning for me anyway. Um, so yeah, let's start with I guess I'll start with the popular teams everyone cares about. IG lost to Rare Adam, which is. Uh, former yeah. the team formerly known as Vici Gaming in a banger of a series that was more of an IG loss than it was a rare Adam win, <laughs> um, and that was that was interesting because I think IG really should have won that series. Uh, had some pretty insane insane throws where they ended up fighting where they really shouldn't have. Um, the big story coming out of that upper bracket. So uh, for those that don't know, LPL this season, they tried a new format, which is this massive bracket that gets to double elimination in the fourth round um, <sighs> where uh, the top two teams are seeded in. So basically the top two teams are seeded into like a winner's bracket semifinals. Um, <laughs> and then... The, so it starts in round one. That was Rare Adam, IG, and then sooning LNG, FPX, and WE were seeded into round two. JDG and TES were seeded into round three, and RNG and EDG were seeded into round four. Wow. Uh, the big story for me, yeah, it's like it, it was a massive bracket. Uh, there was a playoff series like every single night for a week, which was great. <laughs> um, the big story coming out of the winners bracket is definitely FPX. Um, 
for those that don't know, Fun Plus Phoenix has had a lot of issues this year, uh, a lot of which are out of their control. Um, basically, Tian, at the beginning of the season, he said he had a few mental health issues. He's also been struggling with injuries uh, all last year for anyone who wasn't paying attention to that either. Um, so he stepped down. They brought in Bo, who fit with the team really, really well. I think they made a lot of adjustments with Bo, where previously it would be like Tian coming in and covering for Doinby's wave. So he would be a second jungler, right? That was kind of like the typical setup for FPX style. Um, but when when Bo came on, they did a lot of really cool things to cover him to make sure he had time to farm up and contribute. He was performing really, really well with the team. I think a big uh, part of it is how much Crisp was able to do for him, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, Crisp has had, after kind of a lackluster season last year, I think he's had a good season this year. Um, but then Bo was implicated in match fixing, which was... I'm going to say, like, not necessarily, quote unquote, his fault. He did do it, so they had to bench him. Um, However, it's more of a systemic problem in the LDL, which is actually why the LDL is shut down right now. They shut down to investigate all of this stuff because a lot of it is external pressure on these kids. So um, it's looking like Bo's situation was one of those things. And so hopefully they do actually investigate it deeply and, and make it so that none of these kids are getting that kind of external pressure because that's really like poop. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so so then you have uh, Beichan coming in. He performed okay. Then Tian steps back in for, for playoffs. And I was not expecting him to perform well with this team. And this has basically been like Tian's career resurgence hmm. like he's back yeah. um, and, and i mean and, to be clear he won worlds like he was part of that he was yes. the finals mvp when fex won worlds yes. right so yes uh and so that is just like like even taking out like how they've been performing which has been interesting the fact that that this is tian right and that he came back from all of this and um is having this like kind of really cool like career renaissance is just an awesome story um and it's part of fpx's journey to the finals you know um i think another thing to pay attention to with fpx that's really cool that people often forget about Doinby because they know him for the weird picks right like they know him for uh i was gonna say renekton mid but now like every lpl mid laner plays renekton mid um (laughs) Uh, you know, something to think about North America. Uh, <laughs> you know, oh, if you seen, don't hate Renekton some. enough already, like put him in Bibli. It's been getting um, played in, in Academy, I think, right? Yeah. Improving Academy grass. is always, uh, for those that don't know, as an aside, Academy and Amateur is always great to watch because of that because they try out so many picks that LCS teams just won't. Um, yeah. They're still really good. But uh, Doinbee, I think people kind of, forget that he can also play a lot of things, including something like Akali, for example, right? Um, And that was in the EDG series. Uh, The last series they had against RNG, um, they really set a super early kind of proactive pace where Tian was interacting with his lanes pretty early. RNG looked visibly uncomfortable with how quickly uh, FPX were committed to kind of snowballing any sort of early advantage they got. So that's something to look out for in the finals coming up. And then we have um, RNG who, like, so no one expected FPX to be here, or most people did not expect FPX to be here. I expected EDG to make the final, and then I expected RNG to make the final uh from the um losers bracket like they mm-hmm. did basically i expected rng to beat whoever they faced in round four i expected edg to beat whoever they faced in round four which i i believe i did predict to be tes uh and it was tes and then i expected rng to face edg in the set se- in the actual like semi-final so basically the winner's bracket final and then they would face each other again when RNG would qualify out of the loser's bracket fund. 
Um, that is not what happened. EDG I followed all of actually, that perfectly. <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry. You should just like Photoshop right now. You should just take my face out of it and like take the thing of the LPL bracket. Um, but that's not what happened. FPX beat EDG in like a very close five game series in in the winners bracket final. Um, and this is where I want to give Joey B a shout out for. His Akali, again, I feel like people forget that Join B can kind of play like assassins and that he has a very deep champion pool beyond the yeah. weird picks, right? Um, and then obviously staple mages, like he is a Victor player, he is an Oriana player, uh, both yeah. of which are very good in the current yeah. meta. So it's really difficult to ban Join B out right now, which is always going to be a positive for any Join B team. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the addition of the fact that tanky initiators are kind of still in meta for the bot lane also really helps because Crisp is a good initiator and he also it also means that if they are pulling him up to cover waves ever, um, he's a lot more tanky and, and can deal with uh, a lot more pressure. And then um, the big surprise for me is that RNG made it out over EDG. Because going into the series, I thought, EDG were going to have this have this match. They ended up dropping their first two games to RNG and then almost completing hmm. the reverse sweep. Um, the big difference makers for RNG, I know you really wanted to talk about Kryon. Um, I actually really, really have loved watching Wei. Uh, okay. for most of the season, which is the R RNG's jungler. Um, but for those that may recognize him from um, a team that you may have followed last spring that did surprisingly well uh, in E-Star, uh, he was on that team um, and then came to RNG along with Kryon. Uh, so both of them were on that E-Star team that did shockingly well last spring hmm. um, before they were eclipsed by the the Victory 5 PP God narrative of Summer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, Wei and Kryon, they have, again, established Jungle Mid Synergy. Um, looking at RNG, I think the main story for me, sorry I'm talking so much about this, people are probably already <laughs> bored, is Xiaohu, if you remember, he was a mid laner. Um, and I've joked uh, that Xiaohu was really always a top laner. He just didn't play top. And by that, <laughs> I mean, he's kind of always been the, like, put upon, like, I'm going to give up a lot of stuff for my bot lane. I'm going to maybe give up a lot of advantages for my jungler or push out the wave. So I'm going to cover for my jungler. Um, I think that transition to top has been really natural and he's been surprisingly good like this is someone who's already i would say in the in the upper echelon of lpl tops right now hmm. um he's really smart about how he wants to play i do think that they over rely on the nar pick for him and that's where again fpx did a good job of uh uh countering or counter picking the nar um so Looking ahead to finals, that's another thing to keep in mind is, you know, will uh, how will RNG adjust because FPX really seem to A, set a pace that they were very uncomfortable with and B, um, be able to keep Xiaohu down from affecting team fights, uh, especially when he was locking in Dar. So um, yeah. I also would say that as many misgivings as I sometimes have about LWX, I do think he is a better bot laner than Gala uh, in that he has a slightly larger champion pool and is not as, um, I, I mean, I just think he's, he's a better team fighter overall. Uh, I don't think he's as much of a liability as Gala can be sometimes. Although Ming is having an insane season as well. So that's another well, thing to keep in mind. It's, it's interesting if you do talk about bot lanes potentially being a liability because I think, aside from LWX, you know, I think his, over the past couple of years, you've had these really, really great uh, carry players in the bot lane when LPL teams go internationally, right? 
uh, such a strong pool there. And I mean, there's there's this big legacy from Uzi, but it's been more recent that with Jackie Love and and others like that. And to see bot lane potentially being a, a, pot, a spot of relative weakness for the LPL teams, I think is a little bit of reversal of that trend, right? Uh, a bit, I think. People were already so like. It's weird because going into 2019, LWX was weirdly characterized as this like insane AD carry where I didn't think he was like terrible, but I also didn't think he was in the upper, uh, you know, in the upper like part of AD carries at that world championship. Um, I think there were others that were better than him. Um, but I think the, the main standout, it's interesting you say that because the standout bot laner for me and for most people in the LBL has definitely been Viper, um, mm. who came over from Griffin, for those that don't remember who Viper is. Um, and he, uh, following Griffin, he had kind of this, uh, this stint with um, HLE, where they didn't do particularly well. Uh, and coming to EDG, he has been like just absolutely insane um i would say like definitely the best bot laner in the lpl overall for the season and uh we are not going to see him represent the lpl it's going to be either lwx or gala so i would say that it depends on who makes it as to how much of a quote-unquote liability or weakness the bot lane will be yeah, relative to relative top side <laughs> yeah um but if you if you are looking at these two teams like putting ming and crisp aside you're looking at the top side of mm. either join btion noguri or cry and way and Chavu. um you're not looking towards the bot lane as much sure sure and cycling back a little bit you know i like you said, I, I did want to talk about Cryon a little bit and hear hear a little more depth about what you thought of him because I know that's a name that has come up a lot in the Oracle's Looks or Discord. Um, people who oh, follow really? the LPL there really were excited about him being able to come in and when Jahu was role swapping a top, you know, allowing uh, Cryon to come in, people were, you know, there are some people there who are very excited about that. I don't know if this is just, you know, one of those pet players, which we all have, you know, players that you want to see succeed and that you just feel more personally attached to. Maybe it was a little bit of that. Um maybe is a little bit of, of, you know, him being the next big thing, but, you know, so I, I guess I was kind of curious what your take on that it was, is, is crying kind of like that next generation talent or is, is it more of a, you know, did I get a bit of a, the wrong vibe from people overhyping him? Uh, I don't think it's overhyped. I mean, I think he is another one of those LPL players that's been known about since before he started for E-Star. Um, when he did start for E-Star, there was kind of the sense that, he was always going to return to RNG because he came up in the RNG system. He was a very well-known trainee uh, and L LDL player from them. So I think that has something to do with like, quote unquote, the hype or like how much people are talking about him because he was on, like if, if you have a trainee for RNG, if you have a trainee for like IG, like Jackie Love was, um, you're going to hear about them, right? Just because these are big orgs. They're very popular orgs. Um, but no, Kryon is, I mean, he is going to improve so much with time in terms of, uh, you know, jungle to lane communication and in terms of like how he plays for uh, uh, around what his side lanes are doing. But in terms of an individual player, he is very, very good. Um, he is someone that I'm looking forward to seeing grow uh, in the position. And I think it is very fortunate for RNG uh, how well Xiaohu has taken to the top lane. Like I said, mm -hmm. he was kind of always a top laner, uh, <laughs> even though he didn't play top. Um, and that has worked out like his his uh, strong game sense. I feel like Xiaohu is like this weirdly perpetually underrated player. He gets a lot of criticism and a lot of hate, um, but I think he's really, really good. Uh, and the fact that that role swap allowed someone like Kryon to come in and perform so well in mid, it just, it was a, it was a great, uh, it was just really fortunate how it worked out. Uh, and again, Wei and Kryon have a extensive history together. So that also yeah. helps. Um, but I don't think he's, I don't think he's overhyped. I think he's really, really good. Okay. 
yeah, on the on the champion pool side, you know, when I look through what he's been playing this year, I see a ton of control mages. I see some reactant mm-hmm. thrown in, as you kind of called out earlier. Do you think that's just him playing the meta, or or is this like that's his comfort zone, or like maybe not just not as diverse as, as someone like Dune B? Or uh, I mean, it's it's hard to be as diverse as yeah, yeah. Dune B because he will just you know, workshop picks that he really, really wants to play or he thinks are particularly good in certain matchups. But I do think, uh, to your point, uh, you are kind of correct in that uh, Kryon is, I would say, most comfortable on control mages. I'm just reminding myself of what he played last year, and it was a lot of Azir, Corky, He's a really good Cassiopeia player. Uh, he can also he has he had more games on Rumble than I thought. Um, <laughs> but I I would I would put Doin B on the Rumble over I'd put Brian yeah. on the Rumble. Um, almost anyone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um. But yeah, I think. Uh, I think with Kryon, you are looking at a lot more standard of a player. Um, which gives Joinby the edge only because he will go for, depending on what FBX want to do, he has the ability to go for some of these more volatile counterpicks, uh, whereas we haven't really seen Kryon do that, right? Like, it's more about having a stable mid lane setup, being able to set up a 1-3-1 that RNG really love to do. Um, their, their split pushing is, is typically very good. That's actually why I thought that FPX's um, kind of like blistering game pace and then counterpicking the NAR really worked out well against RNG because they really couldn't get any sort of like 4-1 or 1-3-1 off the ground, um, which has been kind of their MO over the whole of the season. Um, So those are things to keep in mind to see how they adjust against what FPX did because FPX just like swept them. Um, and it was not a close series. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm starting to get some hooks on, on what to pay attention to and, and what to follow along with. Uh, I think one more point I'd love to hit here is, is, is Nukuri specifically because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I loved his play last year and he kind of did the con thing, you know, move over there <laughs> try to take over in, in FP, uh, with FPX. The, the con move didn't work out for them so well, but it seems like the Nukuri move is working out a lot better. How has yeah. he been playing, you know, personally? Is is this, how much of their success do you think is attributed to him or him fitting into the system or, you know, how, yeah, tell me about him. Early on, uh, when FPX were kind of like, quote unquote, struggling and then like their initial, I guess, rise or their initial kind of like win streak uh, when they started looking better towards like early to mid split, um, I would say a lot of it had to do with, with Nogri. Uh, he's been performing really, really well throughout the entire split. Um, he kind of offers what Khan did, but with better communication and better map awareness. Um, and a lot more versatility, in my opinion, when it comes to uh, champion pool. Although we have seen, like, I know everyone loves the gif of uh Khan yelling no when they lock in Scion for him and, <laughs> and I believe it was LCK semifinals if I'm not mistaken uh it was either semifinals or finals I forget which um <laughs> or yeah 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 it was uh damn I forget which uh anyway they all blend together but it's very funny uh I think he's they're they're working on him becoming a little <laughs> bit more versatile right um but no Nogri has performed like insanely insanely well and he, I think, is another reason why they were able to integrate Bo so well. Because if you have a stable topside, it just makes it uh, so much easier for the jungler to have enough coverage to kind of like fall back and farm. Uh, especially the way that the meta was going towards, again, like beginning, more towards the beginning of the split. Um, but yeah, I mean, his, his laning is great. Uh, his communication yeah. with the team has only improved. Uh, there are several team fights I can think of where he he like kind of single handedly saved them. Um, mm. 
And then additionally, like going into this series, another thing that you really have to watch out for from Noguri is the fact that he will just straight up pick counter picks. Uh, yeah. If if Xiaohu uh, and RNG lock in that NAR, especially bl- uh, like the blind NAR. So um, that is something that FPX specifically have already proven that they're fail. They're like very prepared to punish. Yeah, and I think I love a lot of what you're saying about Nugger because I always thought, you know, last year, um, I, I had the impression, and maybe it wasn't an entirely accurate impression, but I but I had the impression that people looked at Nugger as this, you know, carry, split push, you know, very resource intensive kind of top laner, but I actually loved a lot of the way he played things like Orn and, you know, I, able to have just solid team fighting and could be an all around kind of a player. So to, to hear that he's doing that same kind of thing in China, a league where, you know, he, I think there's a lot of opportunity that he could, if, if that really was his identity, he could have doubled down on it and become this high resource, you know, always has to carry split pushing kind of a player. Uh, but I think he, you know, has sometimes been unfairly characterized. Uh, and yeah, I love to hear him just kind of playing a stable kind of a game. I think it'll be fascinating if they do make it to MSI to see FBX with Nugri go up against uh damwon yeah <laughs> do the in kind the, of the, the, the weird stage. roundabout grudge match <laughs> i think the, they're the they're weirdly it. i mean obviously fpx are hoping they make it but i know uh there were a few interviews that came out with the damwon players i think with ashley where they did say they're like yeah we hope that Noguri makes it because i'm gonna beat him up like Showmaker's yeah, yeah of course beat him up uh i'm pretty sure it was showmaker um, but go check <laughs> Ashley's Twitter if you want to see those interviews. Yeah, um, yeah that'd be correct. Yeah, I, King. I mean, of 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 both of these teams, I think uh, both would be a good representative. I'm kind of rooting for FPX because I really love the Tion, um, mm. the Tion like resurgence, uh, and I also it. think that. Um, and this is kind of said with the caveat that I haven't had time to study the MSI patch like really, really, really closely mm. yet. Um, but I do want to see a world where, again, junglers are interacting with their lanes a lot earlier because I actually think, um, it'll be interesting to see C9 in the meta like that. It'll be interesting to see Damwon in the meta like that. And it will really be interesting to see FPX in the meta like that. Yeah. I think there are a lot of great junglers already going to worlds and I think that's, that's going to be, and jungle is such an important role right now. Yeah. I can't wait for that. Well, thank you very much for bringing me up to speed on the LPL. Uh, I think I, I have a, I, I at least know what to look for in the VODs when I get around to looking at those now. So that's going to help a lot. Uh, if there are a lot in the bracket review, so people should just go. And uh, if you watch any series, I would say uh, watch the FPX EDG series and then watch the um, EDG RNG series. And then if you have time, watch the first FPX RNG series because those are the two teams that are going to be playing each other again in the grand finals and you can see all the stuff i talked about with how they attacked xiaohu and how they um kind of put rng completely off kilter and ended up sweeping them through you yeah that sounds uh if for anybody who hasn't uh dug through these these relatively new features of oracle's looks it can be a helpful way to, to find these vods to watch if you go to the team or player profile pages uh, there's a, a player's link or a team's link in the header, or when you're in an actual stats table, you can click the player's name or the team's name, and you can see a list of their recent games, what champion they played, and, and go straight to the VODs from there. So I think it's a pretty helpful way to pick out specific games to watch. So make sure you check that out. Uh, and, and to to kind of cap off the episode, you know, always give people an opportunity to ask some questions uh, for the guests that we have on the show. Uh, you can do those in advance, uh, patreon.com slash elixir. Uh, and so do questions. There are also some questions from the Twitch chat live while we're recording this. So have a question from Edward Green. Um, and he starts off the comment. Thanks for being a great addition to the broadcast this year. Uh, and his question is, is there any topic or a thing that you'd like to do more of that, or try out, uh, on the broadcast in summer when you're back for the analyst desk? Yeah. Um, I would love to do, uh, and this is not a, they won't let me do it. It's a studio, uh, communication thing um where it's just a lot more difficult to do remote so if uh we get back in the studio or if if i am back in the studio again got vaccinated today so you know uh (laughs) just have to get the second the second shot and it'll be good um i think that uh 
I would really love to do like a lot of what you see uh, Kedril and, and Betty is doing with actually breaking down um, early jungle pathing or like, for example, with the way that C9 were playing top lane, um, Raz was the first one to bring it up. So he would have been able to, you know, freeze it and then like circle the wave and talk mm. about how uh, they're playing around the stack wave top. And then we flip to bot side later on and we can actually like circle. So I would love to, I believe it's called a telestrator when you are circle <laughs> things, yes, if, if I remember correctly. Um, I would love to be able, yeah, I know, right? Uh, never used one before. Um, <laughs> I would love to do stuff like that because I think it's um, so much easier if you can see it visually and that allows us to freeze something and see it. And again, this is not anything on the LCS. It's not like they're like, you can't do that. It's a, it's totally a remote versus studio thing. So hopefully, yeah. even if it's not me doing it, um, that's something I would love to see our broadcast do a lot more. Yeah, for sure. See, it'd be a lot harder for you doing that kind of thing when you do a play breakdown. Because when I do it, it's a pre-recorded episode. And I just <laughs> narrate the entire thing and say, all right, editor, have fun. You match the visuals, visuals to that. I just give you a text and voice. That's it. I don't have to worry about lining stuff up or circling anything. So I, you know, I have a big, big benefit. And uh, Barry just smurfs on those, the editor for Run It. So uh, a question from uh, Franz League, who I think, uh, I think this is a really, really fascinating question. How would you compare Tian, I guess, at his world champion form to other world champion junglers? So players like Dandy, Bengi, who have, who have won worlds. Do you think Tian's peak compares with those players? Um, I think it's really difficult to compare because when I think of, I mean, even when I think of Bengi, actually, um, I can't think of Bengi without thinking of Faker. And, uh, weirdly enough, uh, even though I think Faker is the best player that has ever played the game of League of Legends, especially if you look at his progression from like mm -hmm. season three through like season seven is actually yeah. insane how much he did for the game um it's really hard for me to separate them i'm trying to think at their peak because dandy was like so interesting because a lot of the stuff that he did a lot of the stuff that bangy did really pioneered the jungle position um and i think tian's strength it's really difficult to separate him from doinby because when i think of Doing B without Tian, he needs like a Tian to succeed, right? Like he, in my opinion, like in order to get the most out of what Doing B wants to do, you want to have that kind of like wave coverage or you want to have him communicating really, really well with his jungler. Um, so at his peak, that's difficult. Yeah. These, these like all time or legacy still, kind of conversations are always tough. Under, He's still under, like, if he goes to MSI and wins MSI um, or ends up going to Worlds and, and winning Worlds, I might consider it, um, start to consider it. But I think the early additions that players like Dandy and players like Bangi made, like, to the game itself yeah. um, are really difficult to compare uh, yeah. honestly, to any jungler now. Because, like, a lot of the things that Tian is doing or a lot of things that Kanyan's doing, um, I, even, like, the the more basic concepts, some of that comes from, like, Dandy and Bengi, right? Uh, so yeah. it's hard to compete with. I would still give the edge to those two. Yeah, you kind of have to... You have to change the game on some level and get people to to respond to the way you play or, or adapt, like, follow your lead. Or you have to just be so overwhelmingly, you know, successful. It's pretty hard to make those kind of legacies but uh maybe we'll see him try uh a question from j663 beast do you think damwon will go 6-0 in their group at msi um so they're in a group we mentioned this before they're in a group with cloud nine yeah and the teams from lla and ljl so dead fm and sorry i forget the lla team's name uh infinity infinity I think I will be surprised if they don't because I don't see them having, like if it was like top esports, right? Yeah. Uh, or even a team like FPX that can play a little bit like funky or like fast and loose. Um, 
I would be looking at it and be like, hmm, they're going to drop a game. They're going to drop a game or two. Yeah. Um, They'll just do something strange and throw one. Yeah. And and it'll be bad. Or like their opponents will come up with a really good, like cheese strat, like, or like cheese composite composition. Um, but Damwon has shown that they are a willing to play a lot of things that are not standard. Um, (laughs) and then B, I think they have the discipline to not uh, yeah. drop a game even in a best of one. So if you do see Dan one challenged, and like I said, I, I think they are the best team going into this, regardless of who qualifies out of the LPL. Um, I think that they will, it will be really hard to best them. It'll be really hard for the three teams in their group to best them. Like basically Dan one has to play like, at their worst and or a composition that's just really difficult to execute. And then C9 has the best chance of beating them in that group, I would say. And they have to play like at their absolute best. (laughs) A lot of Uh, things have to go right and wrong. Yeah, and that's just not, uh, it's not something that you'd rely on, you know? No. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, well, I mean, stranger things have happened and especially international player is always Mm -hmm. a little hard to predict at times, but I think we can, we can probably expect a lot of uh, a lot of success from from Damwon going in. Uh, and one last one to cap it off here uh, from my friend Smacks: Who will win proving grounds now that Alorum and the toilet paper cats have been kicked out? I'm so sad. Uh, <laughs> I I am here for the GGA. Um, okay. Let me double check the bracket. Yeah. So G- GGA are still matter. in. Uh, today, Evil Geniuses Academy are playing against Cloud9 Academy. Evil Ooh, Geniuses really Prodigies, like the amateur team, playing against No Org. Uh, we've got some teams left in the lower bracket still, but those are the upper bracket ones. Yeah. So GGA so, with Fly no Academy, Org, TSM Academy. Yeah, I think No Org have that. Um, I don't think. Yeah, Hunter Thieves Academy, too. Yeah, of the teams in the bottom bracket. I would say it's probably too bad Hunter T and GGA face each other because uh, I think those are kind of the two best teams down here. Yeah. Um, Hunter Thieves Academy would be the, the team on paper most likely to make it out of those four bottom bracket teams, but I don't know if they've been playing yeah. quite up to their level lately. I really like EGA um, despite their in-season struggles. Uh, I think JoJo is really good. I have always liked contracts. I think it's kind of a bit shocking that he's not hmm. an LCS maybe, but, um, and then no org. So I'm expecting EGA and no org in that. Yeah. And then, Ooh, tough. C9A, EGA, or no org is the, yeah, those are my top three. Um, I'll tentatively say EGA. The team I'm rooting for in my heart for (laughs) many reasons that I won't name here is uh, Golden Guardians Academy. I think their, like, resurgence has been really, again, like, really fun to watch, and they're kind of like this scrappy underdog team that makes me want to root for them so but yeah i really like ega uh i am a big contracts believer um and i think jojo pion has performed really well well. yeah lots of exciting players to watch so if you haven't been following proving grounds make sure you you uh, should it's been great it's honestly been so much fun and we're entering what should be the best part of the tournament like you know the, the the best teams are left right so uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to to doing that. I uh, I'm going to be on the analyst desk this Saturday, so uh, that'll be fun. Uh, and we'll see what happens in the, the final week of the show and all of that. We're, we're almost into the best of fives, which is you know that much more fun, I, I would say. So let's see what happens. You know, sad to see Zeus Gaming and their their toilet paper cat logo out of the tournament. Now everything has to feel <laughs> all professional and whatever. But you know, here we are. <laughs> Well, this has been great, Emily. Thanks very much for, for hanging out. Can you remind everyone of the best way for them to follow your work? Yeah, so you can hit me up on Twitter at League of Emily. I'm going to be writing for a few places and also 
I've been working on this beast of a score article that is like Ooh. insanely long and very personal about me being a fan and also mm. him as a player. Um, so I guess you can look forward to that if you like I anything similar that I've written, like the interview I did with Peanut's mom, which is, I believe, still the thing that's pinned to my Twitter profile. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so look forward to that. I'm sure I'll be around, bopping around, commenting on MSI, not on broadcast, but just like on Twitter and stuff. Um, cool. And yeah. Yeah, Score is one of my favorite players of all time, so I'm definitely looking forward to he that. I'll, I'll be all my over it. player of all time, yeah. 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 All right. Well, again, thank you very much. And for anyone listening, you can support the True Sight podcast at patreon.com slash Oracle's Elixir. You can also subscribe to it on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and some other platforms, uh, as well as anchor.fm slash truesight. And make sure you check out the Oracle's Elixir Discord server where we talk about league esports, data science, other topics, other games, uh, and links for all of those things will be in the show notes. This has been the True Sight podcast, and I'm Tim Sevenhusen. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.